I'll just start by reading a communique. It comes from the Vatican Secretary of State. It's a communique on the upcoming conclave. The freedom of the College of Cardinals, which alone, under the law, is responsible for the election of the Roman Pontiff, has always been strongly defended by the Holy See as a guarantee of a choice based on evaluations solely for the good of the Church. Over the centuries, the cardinals have faced multiple forms of pressure exerted on the individual voters and the same college, with the aim of conditioning decisions to bend them to a political or worldly logic. If in the past it was the so-called superpowers, namely states, who sought to condition the election of the Pope in their favor, today there is an attempt to apply the weight of public opinion, often on the basis of assessments that fail to capture the spiritual aspect of this moment in the life of the Church. It is regrettable that as we draw near to the beginning of the conclave, when cardinal electors shall be bound in conscience and before God to freely express their choice, news reports abound which are often unverified or not verifiable or even false, even subsequent damaging people and institutions. It is a moment such as these that Catholics are called to focus on what is essential, to pray for Pope Benedict, to pray that the Holy Spirit enlighten the College of Cardinals, to pray for the future Pope, trusting that the fate of the bark of St. Peter is in the hands of God. At that time, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart, and he was transfigured before them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. This morning, we're going to look very briefly at a few lessons contained in the Collect, the Gradual, and the Gospel, and then we'll speak of some practical applications thereof. We'll start by taking a very quick look at the Collect. Now, the Collect is that little prayer that Father said right after the Kyrie eleison. Okay? Here's the translation. O God, who seest that we have no power whatever from ourselves, keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may hurt the soul. To our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, for and ever and ever. Amen. So at the altar, the priest is beseeching God the Father through his Son, Christ our Lord, to protect us outwardly from bodily dangers and inwardly from evil thoughts that may harm the soul. The gradual, that's the psalm verses read immediately after the epistle. In this case, the gradual is taken from Psalm 24. The troubles of my heart are multiplied. Deliver me from my necessities, O Lord. See my objection and my labor, and forgive me all my sins. So again we see the priest at the altar crying out to the Lord for deliverance from troubles of heart and for forgiveness of sins. Finally, brief look at the gospel. Well, speaking of the transfiguration, the great Cornelius Elapidae comments, quote, Christ wished to give a type of the transfiguration of a soul dark with sin into that of the light of grace, by which we are made like unto Christ. Christ wished to give a type of the transfiguration of a soul dark with sins, and we might add, wounded by sin, in that light of grace by which we are all made like unto Christ. Cornelius Lapide continues, For our transfiguration 
consists of a configuration with Christ. It can only take place in the mountain and by going inside with Christ. That is to say, by frequent and fervent prayer and meditation. Prayer, then, is the transfiguration of the soul. Because by prayer, the soul seeks and obtains from God the grace to blot out the stains and vices by which she is deformed and to overcome all temptations whatsoever. That's worth repeating. Prayer, then, is the transfiguration of the soul. Because by it, the soul seeks and obtains from God the grace to blot out the stains and the vices by which she is deformed and overcome all temptations whatsoever. In prayer, the soul receives consolation for desolation. Out of weakness, she is made strong. From sadness, she's moved to gladness. And from cowardice, she's moved to courage. Okay. So we've taken a brief look at some of the readings of the liturgy. And what have we seen so far? We've seen the priest at the altar beseeching God the Father through Christ his Son, to protect us outwardly from bodily adversities and inwardly from evil thoughts that can harm us. We've seen him crying out for deliverance from troubles of the heart and forgiveness of sins. We've seen in the gospel that by his transfiguration, Christ our Lord gives us a type of the transfiguration of a soul that's dark and wounded by sin into the light of grace by which we're conformed to Christ. We've seen that transfiguration of a wounded soul, can only take place by going inside with Christ, in other words, by prayer and meditation. We've seen that by prayer the soul both seeks and obtains from God the grace to blot out those stains and vices and wounds by which she's deformed and the grace to overcome temptations. And we've seen finally that in prayer the soul receives consolation in place of desolation, strength in place of weakness, gladness in place of sadness, and courage in place of cowardice. In other words, today's liturgy is shot completely through with this theme of protection from, deliverance from, and even healing of woundedness and sin. Healing, a healing of a soul darkened and wounded by sin, that kind of healing comes from a transfiguration by Christ, a transfiguration which takes place by conformity with Christ is obtained through prayer. It's in the liturgy for a reason. The church places these truths before us for a reason. Think of how many wounded, suffering people there are that need this kind of transfiguration in Christ, this healing. Just think of those wounded as children being rejected perhaps, wounded by loss of a parent, being raised in a broken home, a home without love, or a home full of violence and words or deeds, or in a home where they were abused physically, emotionally, or perhaps in other ways. But it's not just the children that have been wounded. There's so many souls wounded by participation in things like abortion, from violent attacks, or other traumas. There's millions of wounded souls. Millions. So today's liturgy, Holy Mother Church places before us 
this notion of protection from and healing of woundedness and sin. In places before us, this idea, this reality that a wounded soul can be transformed. There's a sort of transfiguration that can come about by a contact with Christ, by reaching out to him in prayer. And Christ does heal people when he reaches out to him in prayer. The Gospels are chock full of examples. Matthew chapter 9. A woman who was troubled with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I shall touch only his garment, I shall be healed. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Be of good heart, daughter. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. That power that flowed out from his garment hasn't gone anywhere. That's the same Christ right there in the most blessed sacrament of the altar. And he hasn't lost any of his powers. None. If a wounded soul reaches out in prayer, reaches out to him, reaches out and grabs the hem of his garment, so to speak, with prayer, and hangs on by means of their prayer and their faith, they will get a healing. And those aren't empty words. We've talked about this sort of prayer before. It bears repeating. A year or so ago, I told you a story of a young man who since infancy had been subjected to torture, physical torture, emotional torture, other kinds of torture, unspeakable things since infancy. Why? Because he was raised in a family of Satanists. So he's being tortured by his mother and his father. Unspeakable things. Yet, in spite of these unspeakable wounds, within a year of starting to reach out in prayer to our Lord, within a year, that young man was able to totally forgive his parents. And that's a miracle. How? He started praying along these lines. Lord Jesus, I can't forgive my parents because I can't. So you have to do it for me. You forgive them for me. I'm turning all that over to you. I'm turning over all those terrible memories, all the pain, all the torture to you. Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you into those events, each and every one of them, all of them, the ones I remember, the ones I don't remember. And I'm asking you to be present there. I know you were there. I'm asking you to be present and to come into those events to heal me and to forgive my parents for me. Our Lord is so gentle that he generally won't go where he isn't asked. But over time, as the young man prayed those prayers, our Lord began to move through the young man's life and rearrange the interior furniture, as it were, of his interior life. He rearranged the interior of his soul, his memory, his imagination, his emotions. The Lord began to heal his memories and soothe his pains. And over time, the anger, the fear, the hatred, the pain began to dissipate until he finally found himself actually able to forgive his parents. And that is clearly a miracle of grace. I want to be careful not to generalize here, but simply to state that an experience of those wounded souls that I uh, have known that are faithful to these kind of prayers, at a certain point in time, 
there's a, there's a major, for that person, there's a certain point of time they, they have a, a major miraculous healing that will happen. There's an inner healing. And they're sort of lifted up by grace to a plateau. And at that time, they get a very deep inner peace and a major healing. For the most part, though, this initial healing is not a complete healing. They get a major healing. They get lifted up. They get this deep peace, but there's not a complete healing. The souls that I'm most familiar with are given a deep healing, a deep peace, but there's still areas to work on, still areas in which they, they need to keep inviting our Lord to come into. I am of the opinion, and that's all it is right now, I'm of the opinion this is because our Lord wants to encourage them. He gets them where they, to a place where they can keep going forward and they can hang on with more faith and more love and then it, their prayer life deepens over time. It's to get a stronger relationship with him that, that happens over this period of time. That's my personal opinion in uh, watching these souls that, that I'm familiar with. Another important point. It's important to realize that if someone is to ask for these kind of healings, he shouldn't specifically try to recall the circumstances to mind. That's not necessary and depending on what kind of thing they need to be healed from, this could cause real serious harm. It's not necessary. He simply needs to invite our Lord into his woundedness and pain and ask the Lord to heal him and make him free. The places he knows and the places that are only known to our Lord. He doesn't have to sit here and try to review those events. That could be very dangerous. We don't want to go there. One more point. If anyone has these kinds of wounds and wants to discuss them with a priest, it's essential that at least initially... That play, take place in the confession under the seal. Keep it under the seal. So not only is privacy and security totally preserved, but also so the sacramental effects, the most precious blood, can wash over those wounds. Don't bring it out of the confessional. Keep it under the seal. It's safe and it's anonymous. Over time, if there's a need, the wounded soul might bring the situation into external form, but only after clearing that with the priest and the confessional. And that, and, and that don't, do, don't start by bringing it in an external form. Keep it in the confessional. So in the story of the young man from a family of Satanists, we've seen the reality of the healing of a wounded soul is a kind of transfiguration that comes about by contact with our Lord, and that contact is gained by prayers, by reaching out in prayer and inviting him into your heart, invite him into your soul, invite him into your woundedness, okay? Any one of us can do the same thing. We can reach out with the same kind of prayer, something along these lines. Lord Jesus, I can't forgive my parents, or I can't forgive myself, or I have these disordered desires. I can't handle this. So you have to do it for me. You forgive them for me, or you heal my self-hatred, or you reorder my desires. I'm turning that all over to you, I'm turning over those terrible memories, all the pain to you. I've already confessed my sins. Now I'm turning to you and begging you to heal me. I'm inviting you into those events, each and every one of them, all of them, the ones I remember, the ones I don't remember, all the pain, all those events. I know that you're present, and I'm now asking you to come into those events to heal me and to forgive my parents for me or forgive me or reorder my desires for me, whatever the case might be. Over time, as we pray, the Lord will begin to move through our life and rearrange those interior aspects. He 
will start healing the memories and soothing the pain. Keep in mind our Lord's so gentle that generally speaking, he won't go where he's asked. So if we want, really want to be healed, we want to make sure we don't keep him closed out anywhere. Now there's people that can have really big barriers and they're there for a reason. You don't have to go behind it, but you invite our Lord behind that. If you have walls around your heart or in your personality, you've walled off something, you don't take that down. Just ask our Lord to go behind that and heal that, okay? Because that's not uncommon either. You want to ask him into that. That doesn't mean you need to draw it to the surface. Okay. It's especially important to pray like this. <coughs> Excuse me. After we received Holy Communion, the church actually makes the priest say a prayer for healing every time he says Mass. There's those three prayers we say right before we give ourselves Holy Communion. The third one begins with its percepcio. And uh, you can see that in your hand, Miss. And the Percepcio, it contains a line, quote, Through thy goodness may it, and, and earlier on it says thy body, O Lord Jesus Christ, through thy goodness may it be a safeguard and a healing remedy, both of soul and body. Through thy goodness may it be unto me a safeguard and a healing remedy, both of soul and body. In his commentary on the woman being healed of the bloody issue, Quinius Lapide cites the great doctor of the church, St. Hilary of Poitiers. And he, asks, he says, Just as the author of nature has given to a magnet the power of attracting iron, so did Christ give to his garment the power of healing her who touched in faith. Then he asks, And if it were so with the garment, how much more with the Eucharist? If Christ our Lord gave power to his garment to heal a woman, how much more power has he given in the Eucharist? All right. Let's turn to what I consider a really great book, a marvelous book, written by Don Eden. It's called My Peace I Give You, Healing Certain Types of Wounds with the Help of the Saints. Don Eden, that's D-A-W-N, Eden like Garden of Eden. Don Eden, My Peace I Give You. Really uh, an extraordinary book. I mean, right now, I I want to publicly thank God for giving you the courage and the grace to write a work like this because it took courage and grace. This is not a book for children, but I do think it's a book that every adult should have close to hand. Why? Because if every adult gets this book, takes the time to read it, not only will you have good principles and a whole font of information to draw on should a wounded soul turn to him for help and confide in him, he'll have a good book he can pass on to that person. There are a lot more of you than there are of us. I think in this diocese, the ratio is one priest for every 10,000 Catholics, and Catholics aren't the only wounded ones. So you're going to be in contact with a lot more of these people than we are. This is just a great book to have. This problem is so prevalent that each one of us surely knows or we're going to encounter souls that could use this information. In the book, she cites cites statistics from the Center for Disease Control stating that one in four American women and one in six American men have been abused as children. One in four American women and one in six American men have been abused as children. Those are astronomically high numbers. And I'm personally convinced that in actuality, those percentages are probably much too low. If we include the percentage of children who have suffered the violent destruction 
of their innocence by visual means, given the availability of the Internet and the absolutely incredible and sinful reluctance of our government, our schools, our public libraries, and even more amazingly, so many of our parents, to place any meaningful controls or filters on it. If you have the Internet at home, get a filter on, and the woman of the house should have the password. And don't have any weaseling about that. Somebody comes in there and clicks on that, that's your sin because you provided the opportunity. Every adult should get this book and prayerfully read it. The beautiful examples of the saints in this book are woven with experiences from her own life. Among other things, she's a Jewish convert who was herself abused as a child, and all of it's accompanied by a very thoughtful commentary. I'll just read an excerpt. Don Eden. What the saints taught me and are still teaching me is what I want to share with you in this book. I think of it as a great hidden truth, although it is not elite or special knowledge. Neither is it really hidden, except in the sense of being hidden in plain sight. It unfolds through the Bible, especially in letters of St. Paul, as well as the Catechism. It only seems hidden because it's so beautiful that once you begin to realize its importance, you want to reveal it to the whole world. All suffering contains within it the opportunity to become more like the one who suffered on the cross. No matter what evil was done to us, if we, like the saints, offer our hearts to God, he'll accept us as we are with all our past experiences. Your heart right now contains all the raw material he needs to mold it so that with his grace working over the course of time, may become like his. This is true no matter how damaged you feel. So long as our hearts long for union, which is a sacred heart, our feelings about ourselves will not prevent such union because God's love is stronger than feelings. It is a presence. This loving presence is what the saints now enjoy what they want to bring to us through their example and prayers. The stories of their lives, how they suffer, and how they emerge from their sufferings into greater holiness show that God only wants to heal our wounds if we let him. He will heal us through our wounds, making everything we have endured serve to draw us near to him in love. All suffering contains within it the opportunity to become more like the one who suffered on the cross. God only not, not only wants to heal our wounds if we let him, he will heal us through our wounds, making everything we have endured serve to draw us nearer to him in love. That's Don Eden, my peace I give you, healing certain types of wounds with the help of the saints. My peace I give you, Don Eden. Prayer is a transfiguration of the soul because by it the soul seeks and obtains from God the grace to blot out the stains and vices by which she is deformed and overcome all temptations whatsoever. God not only wants to heal our wounds, if we let him, he will heal us through our wounds, 
making everything we have endured serve to draw us nearer to him in love.